Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. I am just so happy to welcome Anissa to the podcast today. Anissa works as a food photographer and recipe developer under the delightful moniker, The Wonky Stove. And this title is just as quirky, unique, and delightful as Anissa is herself. So Anissa arrived in the U.S. as a very young refugee from the former Soviet Union. Anissa's Jewish-Ukrainian family suffered especially cruelly under that communist rule. And her mother's great courage in fleeing to the United States and then her resilience in the face of more great tragedy once she arrived here is really um, an inspiration to us. Beyond that, Anissa's experience with feud insecurity during her childhood teaches us a lot how we as a society need to respond and best support families like Anissa's, um, the types of families we should be learning from. If all of this sounds like a dark episode, it is not. You will learn that humor is one of the greatest legacies of Anissa's family, and maybe even one of the secret weapons in their success. I could not be more honored to share Anissa's stories and more excited for you to get to hear her unique voice. So welcome, Anissa, and welcome to you, my listeners, who honor Anissa's stories and her ancestors by listening. Anissa, I have actually really been looking forward to this conversation. I woke up this morning actually excited about it because I just really appreciate you. Um, and I've been lucky enough to get to know you a little bit through the um, that really nice thing you did last year where you did an Instagram challenge based on the podcast. So first of all, thank you again for that. That meant so much to me. I, I don't know what to say. It just, you, you bring forward so many beautiful, authentic mm. stories of real life people that otherwise, you know, you don't get to see. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. It just, it spoke to me and then it mm. just seemed like a great way to get everyone else involved. Yeah. That's, get everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, and that's what you did. And I do appreciate it because I kind of feel like it's my job to put these stories forward. If I'm going to do that job well, I really need to bring people on board, you know? And so it meant a lot to me that you did it. And it did like remind me, I think one of the really good things that happened to me um, over the second half of last year was just like reminding me to get back to the roots of this podcast, which is not, I mean... A well-known person here and there is fine, or someone who's like found a career in this industry. But generally speaking, it is. It's like those everyday stories, like we're about to hear from you. That's that's what people are connecting to, and I feel like that was part of my kind of um, like recommitting to that, which is a huge commitment for 2022, and it's it's already gone well. So that meant that meant a lot to me. Um, but in addition to that, Anissa, I just adore you. And I know others do too. I had a long conversation with Lauren of Lauren Baked Cake about this because you, <laughs> you are like this um, very bright, unabashed, um, confident light, confident but humble light in like just this sea of monotonous... <laughs> 
<laughs> Instagram oh accounts God. that are I'm all trying to, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> I'm serious oh, wow. because like every account is trying to find success according to a formula. And then we have the wonky stove, which first of all, like what an amazing handle, like the wonky stove. <laughs> Based on a true story. <laughs> what is the story? How did you choose that handle? I mean, we have lived in old Brooklyn buildings mm. and apartments. And a lot of these buildings and apartments are built in the 1912s mm. and the 1920s. I mean, the newest kind of place that, I mean, they do have newer uh, structures here, but a lot of the buildings that we are renting, they are ancient. Yeah. So a lot of what's you know, the appliances, even if they're new, they're connected to really old wiring. So yeah. everything's a little wonky. Yeah. Everything's just a little, <laughs> just not, not where it should be. And I can't imagine it any other way. <laughs> I just, I just love it. It's a great word, wonky. Like you don't hear that word. The word itself is a little wonky, right? Like it fits. It it's a good word. And, um, and yeah, your account, I mean, you're just like, you're out there shooting with prints and there's blue flames showing up in my feed and just personality. <laughs> and you embrace all of this in yourself, which I love. And it really, like, I really hope, you know, like it is a breath of fresh air on Instagram. I, I, I have no words to tell you how um, amazing of a compliment that is from mm. you, because I look at your work, I look at your photography, I look mm. at what you're doing, and it is inspiring. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. And you're doing everything with just a camera. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, it just, in my mind, I still don't understand how such beautiful things can happen with a camera versus, you know, um, like a pastel or oil. Oh, or gosh. <laughs> It is. It's beautiful. Well, we're definitely we're definitely inspiring each other, <laughs> and I like that. So, um, so I guess that is my first question. Like, I just kind of want to know what um, I, I I I think we're all unique, right? So to say, like, oh, you're so unique is kind of a weird a weird thing to say. It's just that you're so confident in being unique, and you're really steadfast about that, about just experimenting and trying things and, um, and putting it out there. And I'm just wondering, where do you think you got this um, steadfastness, this willingness to not just say like, oh, well, obviously the algorithm likes desserts covered with fruits and this kind of like, I mean, it's just, it's such a formula. <laughs> what gives you the formula? Because I get it the sense it's not just Instagram. It's like all of life that you're just... Um, <laughs> willing to live on your own terms and not um, according to a formula. And I'm wondering, where do you think you got that, that willingness? You know what I mean? To just embrace your own wonkiness. <laughs> embrace the wonkiness. Um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I would have to say my mom and mm. my family. We, mm. um, I don't know if I, I, I mention it on and off that we are refugees from the Soviet Union. Um, mm. We're from the Ukraine, specifically from Odessa, and we'll get into that later because that's a whole different um, story. But mm. um, my family grew up in the Soviet Union, and when my mother went to school as a little girl, I guess she was six or seven, this this was a story told to me over and over and mm -hmm. over. Um, so in order to 
teach the children, you know, how amazing communism is, you know, the joys of the Soviet Union, you know, all the propaganda that comes with, um, you know, regimes like that. Uh, they asked the children to come up with an assignment to say, what do they see their future career path being? Hmm. And the expected answer was, you know, like, head minister of the socialist cabinet or, you know, something, a cosmonaut, you know, something very Soviet. Mm-hmm. And my mother said, I want to be a clown. <laughs> she said, wow. I want to be a clown. And we're laughing, but that was an offense. That was a serious offense that could even get you jail time wow. to say something like this. And they called up my grandmother and she came and she said, well, if she wants to be a clown, let her be a clown. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, that was like the first, like, because my mom is, she's, she is strong. She's a spitfire. Like I'm a marshmallow mm. compared to her. So, mm. um, yeah. So I guess like, it's just like the family tradition of just bringing joy to the world and not caring. That's amazing. That is an incredible, incredible story. And I'm curious, did your mom uh, say it to be like subversive or was it just like a very pure answer? She thought they're asking me a question and I'm going to answer it. It was half and half. I mean, mm. she was never really um, very supportive of the Soviet or the communist government. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're here. We, we didn't want to be there. It wasn't, you know, a joy to be there, especially if you were a Jewish citizen. Um, oh. So there's, oh, it, it was very, it was very difficult to have a career. Um, there was a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of violence towards uh, Jewish citizens and how would you know? I mean, they would print it in your passport. So you were either um, a citizen of the Ukraine or you were Jewish. So that was a distinction. Uh, you weren't considered someone, you know. But um, so she, she, she didn't like the communists. I mean, a lot of mm. people didn't like the communists of the Soviet Union. And that was her answer. It was half subversive, half for fun, because she did. She wanted to make people happy in the gray, gray, sad landscape of Soviet Russia. (laughs) Mm. That is an amazing story. That's going to stick with me for a long time. Mm. Yeah. like (laughs) What's that? So next time you're having a gray, gray day, you just remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's just a great story. So um, your family were Jews in the Ukraine in Soviet um, in the Soviet Union. So was this kind of like um, almost like on a hierarchy, the lowest of the low, because I'm assuming Ukrainians were considered beneath Russians and then Jews were considered beneath Ukrainians is what you're saying? No, no, um, not exactly. I know it gets very confusing. I mm. mean, it's, it's a lot to, to process. But um, so there was the Soviet Union and all the satellite states like Lithuania, Estonia, Georgia, Central Asia, you know, including Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, you know, there are a lot of places. Um, mm-hmm. Then everyone was part of the Soviet Union, but then you were also part of uh, whatever satellite state that you lived in. Right. So you were Ukrainian or Latvian, Estonian, Georgian, etc. But then there was a distinction between the Jewish people and everyone else. 
Ah. Mm-hmm. I so see. So you were still Ukrainian and you could be Ukrainian and you could be a diplomat and you could find your way up the, the ladder of the Soviet Union. But if you were Jewish, you were denied admittance to universities. Um, really? To schools, yes. And uh, so there was a quota for schools and universities and certain jobs that, you know, a certain amount of Jewish people could be allowed. But usually you'd have to have what was called um, a blot, which is uh, be able to bribe in or, you know, have connections to to make it somewhere if you were Jewish. Anissa, I honestly did not know until this moment that that kind of anti-Semitism was so prevalent in the Soviet Union. I just didn't know. I think I kind of thought that was like, I, I mean, I know there's been many rounds of it throughout history, but I kind of thought the most recent really aggravated round was World War II. And then that kind of, you know, I'm not going to say went away, but um, improved. And then the whole Soviet Union was just a whole different issue. That was just communism and all kinds of other issues. I didn't know that that was... absolutely. There was communism and tons (laughs) of issues. But, you know, just to add flavor, just to to pepper the situation, anti-Semitism is also there. And um, I'm sure my experience isn't the only one because there is a large chunk of um, refugees from the Soviet Union in the States. Uh And usually you do meet people who are Russian speaking. I know I I confuse myself too, because I say Russian, Ukrainian, Russian speaking, because I I don't know what to call it because, you know, it doesn't exist anymore. The Soviet Union. Yeah. Right, right, right. (laughs) So um, if you do usually meet uh, a Russian person, they sometimes they're Jewish because there was a few waves um, of people who immigrated from the Soviet Union, and not only from the Ukraine, from, you know, different parts Mm -hmm. of uh, the former USSR. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very bad. My uncle was sent to Siberia, um, which would have been a death sentence. It is a death sentence um, for defending himself. Tell me that story. Um, So he was assaulted he was called a very unkind slur as a jewish a a jewish yeah a jewish person Mm -hmm. and um he defended himself and the person that he defended himself from happened to be our luck um part of the kgb and he was sent to siberia he didn't serve his full um Sentence. He didn't serve his full sentence because my aunt came to visit him and she spoke to the warden and she she asked, what can she do to get him out? Mm-hmm. And also this could have led to her being in prison because you can't bribe officials. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the United States, you can't either. But mm-hmm. and he pointed to her ears and she had a pair of diamond earrings and she took them off. And she gave it to him. And they let him out, I think, within a year or so, two years. But, I mean, any longer. And people didn't survive Siberia. The work, the conditions, the lack of food. And you also have to keep in mind that some of the 
people who did uh, get sent to Siberia were very violent criminals. It wasn't just, right. um, you know, political dissenters or right. philosophers or teachers or, you know, regular people who just were unlucky. There were. So, yeah, he she she got lucky enough to find and she wasn't sure if it was a moment of entrapment because that's also very possible. Right. You know, exactly. He wanted to also get her in trouble, but she went with her gut and she took them off, gave them to him. And Wow, Anissa. Wow. <laughs> Are that aunt and uncle in the U.S. with you? He passed a few years ago. Okay. Wow. But he was here. He, uh, he was also a character. <laughs> Your whole see a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> Your whole family had a real uh streak of strength. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm like a marshmallow. <laughs> I'm, I'm a total marshmallow. I don't know. I don't know where. <laughs> You're a millennial. <laughs> I'm a millennial. I don't know. I stub my toe, it's the end of the world. <laughs> That is making me think of a question I'm going to ask later. (laughs) Okay, now I'm very curious. (laughs) Uh, um, Okay, so the I guess, um, well, let me skip to this one. So you said you just don't even know what what to call it. Um, So how how do you identify? So we identify as. Jews from mm-hmm. Odessa, Ukraine. Jews and first from Odessa, Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> but we also identify as Odessite, which is people from Odessa. And mm-hmm. Odessa is this little city on the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I don't know what it is now, but at the time it was a mainly Jewish area, mm-hmm. uh, mainly Romani people, Romani, uh, mm-hmm. Jewish. Oh, Uh, so so Romani as in from Romania? No, no, Romani as in a... It's like a people group. It's a people group. So, I mean, previously, uh, the common word used previously, people referred to them as gypsy. Oh. That's not not the proper Mm. uh, way to address a group of people because they do have their own culture. They have their own music and it's really beautiful if you ever have a chance to listen oh um, but so in the DSA it was a, a a big mix of different people so you have the Jews you have Romani you have Greeks and then you have um you know because it is the Black Sea you have Turkish influence you have mm. uh um you know from Georgia and mm. you get that kind of very not Russian not mm-hmm. um feel to the music, the mm. food, the culture, um, even the language is a lot of the phrases and idioms uh, don't exist outside of Odessa. I see. I see. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And then that you was just... a very long answer. <laughs> no, no. That's a very interesting answer. <laughs> I actually just learned a lot right there and did a little Googling also on the Romani people. Okay. I see. So the other thing that um, I have a feeling is going to go back to your family and that you're going to have stories um, about this as well is that um, when I talk about like what just a bright spot your account is, which 
when I say account, that's like shorthand for you. <laughs> your account is like one manifestation of you in the world. And I'm sure that in your community up there, your schools, your um, synagogue, or your if you attend or whatever groups you're in, you yourself are a bright spot. So that's what I mean when I say your account. But um, the, the other reason is just because um, you really, really, really go out of your way to support and uplift people. It feels like that is the primary purpose of your account rather again, than just like uh, hitting some formula for success, you know? And so I'm guessing that that also um, comes from your family's experiences and from their own characteristics. So can you trace back that, just that desire to make people feel comfortable and safe and supported and celebrated can you trace that back? How did that become such a strong value for you? Um, I have, I don't know if it's, if I go out of my way, it just, why, why not uplift mm. people? Like if, if we connect and as people, especially now, if you find someone that you connect with and someone you can speak with and someone that you, you know, find some kind of vibe with or whatever the kids are saying. I don't know. I'm old. I don't know what the slang is, but <laughs> um, you know, why not? Why, mm -hmm. why not like bring that mutual joy? I mean, it can't just be about me because I, mm. you know, I'm, you know, I live with myself. I'm sometimes not that great. <laughs> <laughs> here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. Like the Yelp review here isn't going to be like five to five every time, but you know, you meet right. people why not like if mm -hmm. i don't know what power i have but if if i could if i could i could i guess yeah. that's it if i can i can and again growing up we mm -hmm. always had so many different people at home mm -hmm. and it wasn't just people who were jewish it wasn't just people who were ukrainian um it was everyone and there was no time that you come into the house and you don't leave with another bag of food to go home with mm -hmm. And this was in Ukraine and in the U.S.? In Ukraine and in the U.S. So mm -hmm. if you come, there's going to be enough food for you to eat for at least 10 days, just mm -hmm. in one city. But then you will go home with extra food. I will wow. hear nothing, but I will have extra food for you to take home just because. Because <laughs> there's just, it's, it's like the joy of feeding someone and mm -hmm. then giving them that to go. Like, mm -hmm. here it is you enjoy it extra at home. Um, and it's, it's always, it's just, and the people that were friends with our family, uh, they've only showed kindness. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there are awful people in the world. There are, mm -hmm. that's, I don't want to sound naive. Like mm -hmm. I don't believe it, but. You, you've seen that for, 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 yeah, you've, you've really looked stared in the face of that. It's just not we, what you choose to focus on. Exactly. And we, we all have seen or experienced something that just, you know, shows how ugly people can mm -hmm. be, but people can also be amazing. Mm -hmm. And those amazing people, that's what I want to focus on mm -hmm. because I don't want that to erode me. And then I'm going to be, you know, just a miserable kvetch walking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. What a strong phrase. I don't want that to erode me. That's really a very, very apt word. Um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So tell me about your family's decision to leave Ukraine. Um, who came and what was that process like? What was your arrival in the U.S. like? Take your time 
to share this in as much detail as you'd like. So when people left the Soviet Union, there was, it wasn't an open kind of uh, permission to leave. There would be different waves and different openings um, and different countries who were expecting, not expecting, accepting. There were different countries accepting um, refugees or immigrants. Mm -hmm. And you never knew when the last wave would happen. So people Mm -hmm. would just leave whenever they could leave. Mm. and you weren't allowed to leave with much of anything i think it was a suitcase per person and that's it Mm. mm -hmm. no you keep going and i we we came in 80 i should have asked my mom before i did this interview we left we came in the in the late 80s and i think that was one of the few last waves before like I think Perestroika and like the Soviet Union collapsed and people were allowed to um, sell their belongings and come here, you know, mm-hmm. directly. But mm-hmm. we came as refugees through the help of a Jewish organization. Mm-hmm. And we went, and a lot of folks did this too. They went through Italy, no, through Austria, Italy, and then to the United States. Okay. Okay. And we were supposed to meet an uncle. And that uncle um, passed right right before we arrived. So we, the fam, my family came here with just suitcases and nothing. Oh, and no one. Like you just showed up in an airport. Just showed up in the airport. Yep. And uh, before leaving, we also had to. Uh, we were the Ukrainian citizenship was removed. So we were stripped of Ukrainian citizenship before leaving uh, the country. So we were just, you remember that movie, the terminal with, uh, yes, Tom Hanks with Tom Hanks, where he's not allowed to leave because he's a citizen of nowhere. Yeah. That was literally us. We were citizens of nowhere. Just, just, just roaming. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so I'm try- I'm gonna um, walk through this slowly and try to get the picture. So who was we? It was you, me, my mother, my grandfather, and my grandmother. Okay, her parents. Yeah. Okay, and um, to make this decision, I really want to understand and to help people understand how momentous this decision was. Um, So it was not a situation where like you would be punished if you were caught. It was kind of a legal move, but it was also, they had put many massive deterrents in place. For instance, yeah, you couldn't take things with you and there was no going back. Correct. So you were allowed to leave, um, but you had to agree to, I guess, relinquish citizenship to the Ukraine, if that's Mm. the right way of phrasing it. Mm-hmm. And um, you were only allowed a suitcase and I think a certain amount of rubles, dollars, I don't whatever they use. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then you were off on your own. So do you have a sense of if this was, uh, you said they were kind of waiting for these waves. Do you have a sense if this was like a difficult decision for your mom and your grandparents or if there was a defining event that made them say, that's it, that's enough, we're, we're going? Um do you know anything about that process of making that decision? I think just like, you know, living as Jewish people under Soviet rule, like you don't assume that it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. Considering that um, 
you know, with my, the situation that my uncle experienced and mm-hmm. um, some other family, the, they weren't, you know, they, they were, um, they were working and they were studying, but they weren't allowed to advance mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Yeah. of being Jewish. And, and of course, you know, just, this was the eighties and the Holocaust happened in the forties. And my grandmother, my great grandmother lived through that. And mm. before that in the Ukraine, you had the pogroms and before that you had, you know, it's on and on and on. So it's, yeah. you know, so if there's a promise of something else, I, I honestly think it's amazing how you just pack up with a little kid in a suitcase and just off you go. Well, I think it is too. And I think that it shows the desperation, right? Exactly. And, Hope, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Been something better. So, how old were you, Anissa? I was two and a half, three when we when we came to the states. Okay. Do you remember that day in the airport? You must not. No, no, I do not remember the day at the airport at all. I mean, what did they do? Um, we arrived. And our family stayed, um, they were placed because uh, I should have clarified all the details with my mom, but I know that some of the help was through a Jewish organization. And I think the remainder was uh, through different organizations in New York Wow, that were aiding refugees. So I think once we got to New York, we were eligible for help. But once we were leaving the Soviet Union, we were sort of like on our own. Mm-hmm. And once we got into got to New York, we lived in a halfway house home. Mm-hmm. And I actually have vivid memories of that. And I know I asked my mom, I said, I keep on having this strange dream that we're in this really frightening hotel where, mm-hmm. the, where the wallpaper's feel, peeling and it's yellow and there are like weird metal beds and it's just really gray and the light is flickering. And she's like, that is not a dream. She's like, that is a frightening reality of where we lived when we first came to New York. Wow. And she said it was just scary. Like, they, there was nowhere else to stay, so we lived there. Until, you know, we set up with an apartment, and um, my, my mom got a job, and my grandmother found somewhere to work. My grandfather found somewhere to work. And then, you know, we lived in an apartment. But for the time being... Uh, we we all lived in a it was it was a halfway home, so mm-hmm. it was refugees and then people finding their way after incarceration and then people finding their way after rehabilitation. And I um, see. So it wasn't just for people in your situation. It was like almost back to the Siberia thing. It was some people who were in that situation because of some really scary life decisions. Yes. Got it. So that that's my first memory. I know I asked her about it and she said, no, that is not a dream, my sweetheart. That is the reality. She's like, I'm surprised you even remember it. And mm-hmm. it's it's vivid. It's like, you know, you like a horror movie. It was just mm-hmm. gray and yeah. scary. Oh, yeah. The way you described it, I really do feel like I'm watching like a, you know, yeah, a horror movie a preview horror. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when I first met you, um, I guess a couple of years ago, I think the very first thing that I noticed about you is that you were um, 
supporting and encouraging us to support an organization called the Giving Grape. I think it's called the Giving Grape. I looked it up beforehand and um and I I, I did contribute <laughs> thanks to you. And um I remember specifically this like caught my attention, even though it was two years ago. You talked about them helping families that are suffering with food insecurity in the right way. So um, again, like a multi-layered question, can you tell us a little bit about the food insecurity that your family experienced um, when they got here? It sounds like that wasn't so much of an issue in Ukraine, but that you experienced when you got here, how they helped um, or how the organizations that were helping you helped and what does it mean to do that in the right way? Hey, just a quick interruption here, listeners. I am so happy to report that listens have been growing very, very rapidly in the last several months, which is opening the door to really exciting opportunities for me. Um, These opportunities will better allow me to share stories like Anissa's with a wider audience, which I believe they deserve. I want to say that this growth is thanks to you, and I am really humbly asking you to keep doing what you've been doing. So please share this episode with someone who would enjoy it. Please leave a five-star rating or review, which you can do right there through a link in my show notes. These ratings and reviews make a huge difference um, in terms of getting the podcast out to more people, and they mean a lot to me personally. Third, make sure you subscribe right there in your player um, or to the newsletter, which again, you can find a link to in the show notes. And finally, if you would like to support the podcast financially, the best way to do that is just shop the storied recipe print shop, get something for your home, um, for a friend or neighbor or family member's home. Every print sold in that shop is celebrating my guests' stories and recipes. They also celebrate the beautiful bounty of nature and the gift of extraordinary light. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything. Um, This is definitely a community driven (laughs) um, podcast. And now I'm going to let you hear more from Anissa. When we arrived here, I mean, there, there were food banks and um, uh, what the prices weren't as insane as they are now. So what little money uh, my family made, they, they were able to make do with what was available in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were really hit with food insecurity, and I linked that up to the giving grape, and usually December is a rough time for me because that's when we lost our father to um, two, two drug drivers, which is honestly amazing. As if one wasn't enough, there was another one also driving irresponsibly that day. So that, that's another issue that I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Do not drink and drive. Just do not get an Uber, mm-hmm. sleep at a friend's house, mm-hmm. anything, you know, or just don't drink. That's yeah. also an option. Just don't yeah. drink. Right. Um, right. Because it seems at the moment you're having a great time, but then, and then you just end up doing something that you regret and other people have to live with for the rest of your, their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, he, he wasn't able to, you know, help and it was my mom and my brother mm-hmm. and um, myself and we weren't able to get aid based on the state guidelines because our income bracket was way above mm-hmm. what people were eligible to receive aid 
-hmm. And this isn't just for our family. It's for a lot of families who are living, you know, in that limbo of that eligibility bracket Mm -hmm. where if you make any less, you just wouldn't be able to afford to live. Mm -hmm. If you make any more, it doesn't mean that you're living well or you can't afford food. And Mm -hmm. here in New York, in order to qualify, you have to go to an interview, you have to provide documentations. And I think sometimes, I don't know if they've changed it yet or recently updated, but you have to go in consistently for interviews to update documents and provide information to continue receiving um, any kind of aid. Mm -hmm. And if you are working and you have a family, when do you make that time to spend a whole day down at the food stamp office or the whole day at the eligibility office, because it is a whole day event. Right. And meanwhile, it sounds like your dad survived and your mom was caring for him. I don't know. Survived is he, he had severe brain damage Mm. um, to the point where he didn't know who anyone was. Mm. Mm. So yeah, on top of your mom, all of a sudden being the sole breadwinner, for breadwinner mm. and dealing with that layer of of trauma and you have two small children and 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 mm-hmm. and yeah and you're expected to show up and her thought is i need to keep a roof over our head yeah. i need to put food on the table mm-hmm. and the giving grape and similar organizations they give the money directly it's mm-hmm. here it is spend it how you need it so you don't have to make that choice between uh, losing a day of work because not everyone has paid leave. Not everyone's mm-hmm. allowed to take off a day from work. Um, sometimes you just can't take a day off of work. Mm-hmm. So the money goes directly to whoever needs it, and you could spend it on groceries. Uh, you could spend it on toiletries, and you know that that takes up a large portion of the budget too, especially if you're a woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to take care of yourself both nutritionally and um, hygiene. Those are two very important aspects of mental health. So it's you take care of yourself from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And I think the organizations that um, provide direct funding, um, direct, I guess, resources that are available to someone who needs it immediately, that, mm-hmm. that kind of leaves the dignity in, in, in asking for help because asking mm-hmm. for help is, is not always easy. Mm-hmm. How does the giving giving great particularly um, hear about needs? Um, so you could bring forward um, a person, a family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you think is in need. They work with uh, other organizations uh, that provide them with leads mm-hmm. to people who need directly uh, direct help, or you can reach out to them personally. I see. Uh, mm-hmm. as you know just you could tell them that i am so and so and i need help with you know groceries any toiletries what have you mm-hmm. and then they they have their own vetting process and they figure it out and then the person receives the funds i see i see do you have a sense of how your mother made it through that time um a lot of creativity mm. and a lot of strength and i guess humor Mm. A good sense of humor. <laughs> she called she called out that inner clown. <laughs> she called out that inner clown. She called out that 
that like inner fighter. I mean, she, mm. she did work triage in an emergency room. So, Oh my gosh. So she's constantly being like re-traumatized. I don't know if re-traumatized, but that was just uh, where she worked um, in, in the, in the Ukraine and in, in Odessa, she worked as a triage oh. nurse in the emergency room. So she, she's tough. Nothing surprises her. Nothing phases her. She is, Again, I'm a marshmallow. <laughs> so yeah, she 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 made it through. You know, they say God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Mm. Wow, wow. Um, a question about that <laughs> about um, being a marshmallow. I mean, I guess like we all kind of have this thing about you know, pleasing our parents, living up to our parents' expectations. Like this is, this is the basis of many a novel or movie or personal essay, right? Like (laughs) when you have a parent that has like (laughs) conquered so much, just dealt with so much. I mean, do you feel like that affects the way that you're raised or the expectations you have for yourself? You know? You, that's really a good question. Mm. That's a very good question, <laughs> Becky. <laughs> um, you know, I I hope to be as strong uh, mm. for my own children and for myself. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I feel pressured mm-hmm. because uh, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. She didn't make you feel that way there you go <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't a lot of um well in my day or you should understand what i went through like it wasn't something that was used to guilt or shame you into quote being better yeah there that's, yeah. that's the answer so it was always amazing. like you have to be you mm. like, i'm great but i'm me so you need to find you wow what a <laughs> gift for your mom to give you Little dude, go go to Papa. Mm. Go to Papa, little man. Aww. Okay, now. Now, where's my Piri? Go, Papa. 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 Go, yeah. Mm. Um, so like none of no joy in anything mm. in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter what religion you were, it was just the big no no no. Mm-hmm. Um, but we speak we speak Russian. My mom speaks Ukrainian and my grandmother spoke Ukrainian and Yiddish. Mm. And she also spoke a little bit of French, and my mom speaks we speak all my mom speaks a few languages. She speaks like uh conversational Arabic. Really? Yes, because we had a lot of um, Libyan students come in from Libya to Odessa. Uh, there, there was um, there were a lot of students that came to Odessa, and um, the the students from Libya, um, you know, teenagers, teenagers meet, they talk, they hang out. So, what what was the question? I feel like we really veered off. Oh, I think. Well, first of all, I'm actually looking at. Um, I, I'm I'm looking at 
uh, a map right now because I'm actually fascinated by, I will tell you one thing this podcast has taught me, which is how horrendous my geography is. And I'm like, Odessa, <laughs> Libya, like what's happening here? But um, back to your mom, I guess I just ask, and I'm I'm so impressed with that, that she never put that on you because like, I can just tell you if I lived half of the stories that I hear about here, like I would be a very bitter, resentful person. The fact that she didn't project all of that onto you and um, kind of constantly hold you to a standard of, oh, well, you know, this is what I had to deal with. So I feel like there can be a real generational thing that happens. Like, so you need to, too, to prove yourself. And I think that to me, it indicates that somehow, somewhere along the way, she was able to live without any sort of bitterness. Like she found some kind of acceptance for these hardships. Do you, do you think that's true? Do you, and do you, how, how the heck should she do that if she did? I'm I'm not exactly sure. I mean, she there was always a lot of pressure to do really well in school. Yeah. Like, you know, if you brought home a 90, it's like why is not 110? <laughs> like, what do you mean 110? She's like extra credit. I'm like, there was no extra. She's like, write extra and they will give you extra credit. It's like, no, mom, that's not how that write extra. That's and, great. I mean, there's like, and I know a lot of my Russian speaking and immigrant friends listening mm-hmm. to this are going to be shaking their heads because that's I think it's just like the the stamp the mark of immigrant parents it's like you must do well in school yeah like a hundred is not enough you must do like 150 wow. you must be like the king of your school on the yeah. honor roll president yeah. of the honor roll king of the honor roll <laughs> Overlooking like despot of the honor roll. That's amazing. <laughs> like this is like that that was the major pressure. Mm-hmm. Like you had to do everything perfectly. You went to ballet, you why why are you not the prima? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Why are you in that? You mm-hmm. went to art school. Why are your lines not straight enough? Straight mm-hmm. in the line is mom, you don't even draw. Well, you do, so you do it better. <laughs> You yeah. went for guitar lessons. Why are you not playing like Vivaldi? It's like, mm. <laughs> so there, there was always that, that pressure to mm-hmm. do really well academically, yeah. to do really well at whatever it is that you were doing. Mm-hmm. But there was never um, that, that point where it, it would be like a reoccurring, like, oh, we had to. Right. <sighs> You know, we we were refugees. I mean, she did talk about it, like you know, we were sure. refugees, and we didn't. We went at, without a lot, and we made it work. But it was more like you know, inspirational stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. 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 to really motivate you. Yeah, and then sometimes, yes, yeah, she would say, "There's a saying in Russian, um, mm-hmm. and it means to go crazy from too much. Mm-hmm. Um, is fat." And biasitsa is uh, to go crazy from, mm. so just to go to, to go crazy from too much. And my mom would sometimes like if I'd be sitting and moping around as a teenager, or sometimes even as an adult, she she'd tell me like, you know, stop, stop it, like mm. enough. Yeah, you have, too much. <laughs> you have too much. Concentrate on one thing. Interesting. Yeah. Is yeah. there a similar? Is there a similar uh, expression in English? Yeah, I think all we say is like, 
entitled. They're so entitled, which kind of encapsulates this idea of like they have a um, they have a bad attitude because they've had so much. But it's not. Um, it's it's interesting. It is a very different thing because it's more entitled is more about how like you present yourself to the world. Whereas this is more about the negative effects it can have on you when you don't have to, you know, scrap for your survival, <laughs> you know, when you're just, um, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. That's a really cool phrase. I wish I, I wish I spoke Russian. <laughs> well, I'm here. I'm here. We could chit chat. Yeah. Learn together. <laughs> Um, so uh, just a, a quick side question. So you speak Ukrainian. Are you, um, are you married to a Ukrainian? Do you both speak with your kids? I don't speak Ukrainian. I understand it. Oh, um, my mom and my grandmother speak Ukrainian. Well, Wait, my grandmother what, spoke. what did you just speak to your child? I speak Russian. To you speak child. Russian, 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 Russian with a mix of some Yiddish in there and, um, some of the Adiasa, like yeah. idioms and phrases that we we use that are specific to our city. Because if you say that to anyone else, anywhere else, they will look at you like you're speaking an alien language. I so, gotcha. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. And That's... English, of course. Okay. And so, is it is it just um, so? Does does your husband speak Russian? Yes, his family is from Saint Petersburg, and his mom is from Ukraine. Oh wow. Okay. So they're from. Leningrad. So you really have all that in common. We do. I mean, his family survived uh, the blockade, which was also no no treat. What survived. I don't know about the blockade. What was that? So, um, in Leningrad, Saint Petersburg. Um, let me get the dates for you. I don't mm-hmm. know what what year was that. So there was a military blockade uh, mm-hmm. during World War Two. Mm-hmm. And there was no food whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like none. People were starving. People were resorting to cannibalism just to make it through. It was a mm-hmm. very, very dark time in uh, history mm-hmm. for the people of uh, St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. And his family survived. Mm-hmm. So. Do you know how? How they? How did they manage? You know what? I don't know. By the grace of God. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, before we move on to the food question, yeah. I am going to ask one more thing and we can easily take this out. When this release, I mean, I guess I'm just, do you, do you have any comment on, I mean, it looks like we're at the brink of war with Russia over Ukraine. Do you have any comment on this? Anything you'd like to say or for people to know or for us to keep in mind as we read the news? Like, how is this affecting you personally? Or do you want to skip that topic altogether. I just feel like it would be crazy for me not to ask since it's headlines like every morning now. The headlines are are every morning. And I mean, the history between Russia and Ukraine and Russia uh, wanting Ukraine um, as, you know, back back in with, with the rest of the, the seven time zones that they have. Mm. It's, it's nothing new, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm not a military strategist. I'm not a journalist or, you know, politician i don't know what answer to give mm-hmm. i honestly just hope for people to be safe and i hope that there can be some kind of reasonable no- negotiations yeah and reasonable agreement reached that that doesn't lead to war i don't think anyone wants war yeah i, I can't imagine like anyone thinking that that would be right a good option but maybe i'm just an optimist but i don't think i'm the right person to ask mm, okay okay <laughs> um 
you said let's skip it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I have no editing. You've seen my photographs. The more, the more. <laughs> <laughs> the more, the more, the more. I love it. The more, the better. I love it. Um, what did Anala say way back when? She's a maximalist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So um, before we talk about these blue flame eggplant rolls, this is like the food portion. We, um, (laughs) I went to Savor and Sage's blog and I read the story of your uh, New Year's contribution, that roast duck, which by the way, those photos were absolutely gorgeous. Like the little pickled beet against the purple. I mean, it was gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. But I, and I know you thought about giving me that story. If I had asked you before and we could have timed this with the new year, you would have told me about that. So can you just tell me about this Russian new year folk story that sounds insane and also funny, but also like kind of the perfect flavor of what your mom was surrounded by (laughs) in terms of that Russian uh, culture? Tell me about that. So in the Soviet Union, like I mentioned before, religion was a big no-no. Like mm. you couldn't you couldn't celebrate Christmas because Christmas celebrates the birth of Christ, and that was just mm. not allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, there was no Christmas. And eventually, I guess they saw that people's morale was just not doing so well because, I mean, religion is is a big part of yeah. of people, it's a big part of culture, it's a big part of celebration. And to just, you know, pluck it out and leave people to putter about and yeah. socialism, I guess, wasn't the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they allowed people to have Christmas trees, but but for New Year's. Incredible. So you couldn't celebrate it on the 25th. But since New Year's, I guess, was uh, a non-secular holiday, you could put up a tree. And so people would put up trees and have big dinners and give gifts and then there's also like a santa claus character Dead maroz father mm-hmm. frost which apparently was frightening to children so they added a granddaughter <laughs> snowflake um and then there's also baba yaga and she just appears in so many folk tales and it's just not a russian folk tale without baba yaga she lives in a little hut on chicken legs in the uh-huh. middle of the forest. Uh-huh. And she has a magical balalaika through which she controls her magic hut. And she's usually, you know, around to like cause trouble, sometimes not cause trouble. Sometimes people come to her uh-huh. like and they want to get her magic or they want to get her magic balalaika. And she teaches them a lesson, which I can't argue with. I mean, <laughs> she's hanging out, living in her own little and people are coming to bother her. <laughs> so is this like a morally ambiguous character? Like she's not good, she's not evil, she's kind of mischievous, kind of like Oh no, she's she's not she's not good. Like you're not gonna like be biffles with Baba Yaga. <laughs> <laughs> like Baba Yaga is a strong, independent, like witch okay. who knows what she wants, she knows what she does. She doesn't need anyone telling her what to do. <laughs> Oh, but my. she is scary. She's very frightening. Okay. Okay. She's very frightening. And sometimes she's also friends with, I know your your listeners are going to have a field day with this this phrase, Kashe Bismirtne. Okay. The, the undead. Oh. He like, he just, yeah, he, 
they, these are children's stories. Yeah, way. this is horrifying. I'm I'm literally thinking when you're like, yeah, everybody was scared of the old grandfather, so they gave him a daughter, like a little granddaughter. I'm like, this is literally how they groom children for like child abuse. They use like a prop to try to make you feel like somebody's safe. <laughs> like this is just but a weird, not- weird situation. Like no, no, grandfather Frost, like the other was he's he's nice. He's not a bad okay. character. It's just I guess everything Soviet is just very angry. Ah. <laughs> so I mean whatever the the artist's rendering was of just like grandfather frost wasn't appealing to children, so they added oh. in like a female counterpart. It there's no like grim undertones here. It just it was supposed to be fun and I see uplifting. But Baba Yaga comes from, you know, folklore. And also there's a lot of, you know, pagan undertones and mm. a lot of Slavic culture. So including mm. Ukraine and Russia. And there's a mix. You have that mix of, you know, a long tradition of pagan practices, traditions, superstitions. Then there's mm. a layer of, um, so I guess, Christianity from the Greek Orthodox Church. Mm. Because the- influence from the ottomans and the byzantines and from greek um uh, i guess um greek control over okay mm-hmm. ukraine and parts of russia and then add in the soviet union and then mm-hmm. add in whatever their propaganda dude was thinking so you have this <laughs> like big mishmash of things going on that's so hard to explain to someone if you haven't like <laughs> Like, it's really, I don't know. I'm saying it to you and I feel like I'm reading a book and explaining, like, trigonometry to someone. <laughs> like, we're doing calculus. Like, this is the cultural equivalent of calculus. I'm not that's really exactly, sure that's, that's, that's just amazingly so well said. And I think, I mean, that was the idea. That was kind of like, give me the flavor of this culture that your mom was growing up in and that you were kind of, you know, in a secondary way saturated in as well and um so was there like a is there like a particular store you know is it like he comes and visits everybody uh this this grandfather guy on new year's day or it's just everybody kind of tells stories about these characters on new year's day he visits everyone on new year's day with gifts okay um and there's singing and dancing and celebrations because new year's is a magical time yeah and before you you celebrate New Year's on the 31st, you have to say goodbye to the current New Year, mm. not the New Year, the current, the current year before mm-hmm. you say hello to the New Year. Mm-hmm. So you have your first table of like small snacks, which is like salads and smoked fish and caviar and like little bites, like piroshki and mm. toasts. What else is there? Pickled vegetables. My grandmother the, these eggplants these eggplants absolutely these mm-hmm. eggplants so these would be on the table at, at our house it's not like ubiquitous for all you oh, okay i see specifically to adiesa this recipe exists nowhere else that's why i really wanted to share with you ah okay. because it's so unique along with the word for eggplant that's why it's called blue blue flame Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to find out if someone's from the Ukraine or Russia, ask them how they say the word beet. But if you want to know if someone's from the Ukraine or Odessa, ask them how they say eggplant. Because the word for eggplant in our city is used nowhere else. 
absolutely nowhere else except in Idea. So we call them blues or senior. <sighs> the rest of uh, Russia and the Russian-speaking countries call them baklajane. Baklajan is the, the Russian word for eggplant. Zinu uh, is the word in Odessa for eggplant and only in Odessa. So and it's... Zini, uh-huh. N- no, go ahead. Zinu aganyok is blue flame. So it's like spicy eggplant. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, get me there, get me there. And I, I was wondering, because an eggplant actually does have kind of that shape like a flame you know starting wider and going up thinner with like kind of a graceful arc so but no it's a spicy eggplant got it got it got it okay so um you you (laughs) let's talk about eggplant because you you actually feel very 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 strongly about eggplant and cooking eggplant and preparing eggplant like this uh, the passion really (laughs) really oozes out of you when it comes to eggplant so talk to us about the proper way of choosing and preparing eggplant so I'm going to start with my husband just as an anecdotal reference. Okay. He did not eat eggplants. His family did not grow up eating eggplants because they are from Northern Russia and St. Petersburg. That's not like a dish that they're used to or eat. And I managed to convert him to loving eggplants. So I feel like it's possible. I just, people just haven't eaten it the right way or they haven't prepared it the right way. Yeah. And eggplants love a lot of oil mm. like love oil if you don't give eggplant that oil that fat that acidity mm-hmm. it's not going to be your friend it just won't and i think like there's such a culture of like really measuring out like to the tablespoon the oil that you cook with mm-hmm. that maybe that like deters people from enjoying eggplants mm. or eating them i mean they're delicious stewed in which you wouldn't need too many too much oil or like your previous guest, Honey, um, where they just chuck the whole thing into flames, <laughs> which we do too. That is a technique, and I love it. And when I listen to that podcast and about the technique that um, her family used cooking, I'm like, yep, that that's it. That's really familiar to me. Like, I know what that is because eggplants love that. They love the drama, like throwing it into the big flame. <laughs> Lots of oil, like it's a theatrical vegetable. I guess maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. I've I feel like I reached I never even knew that about myself up until this interview. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Do they call it in therapy? Like when you, you arrive at a yeah, like just a moment of discovery. Yeah, a moment. Oh, you could just send me the invoice, so yeah. <laughs> <For> today's session. <laughs> oh, stop, stop. That's amazing. So yeah, you can't just like cut an eggplant and use it. You really gotta you gotta <laughs> you have to allow it to work through its drama. <laughs> exactly. It is dramatic. It needs a moment. It needs a spotlight. It needs love. So mm. um and I think, you know, if if I can show it enough and show that it's not that complicated. Maybe more people will approach an eggplant. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm actually really excited about this recipe. So I have just two questions about making these. Um, You talk about slicing it from um, hat to heel, which I loved that phrase, by the way, because these are supposed to be long and thin. 
so you can roll them up, like put a paste, a red pepper paste um, and roll them up. So my question is, um, that seems difficult to do. Like, do you use a mandolin or am I, am I, am I being dramatic now? Is it not really that hard? I've no, you know, I don't think I have a wide enough mandolin, but that would probably make the work easier mm. if you set it to, um, I guess like a medium thickness. You don't want them too thin because then they'll disintegrate in the oven. Yeah. Um, you probably want them about half. I'm going to give you like the, the mom, the mom measurement, like yeah. half a fingernail thick. Yeah. Thickness. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's what you had said. You had said a quarter of an inch, which is not, it's not thick. Um, really? So, okay. Well, yeah, you're right. My mandolin might not even be wide enough. Okay. But you just, you just kind of do it. And it's probably one of those things you're skilled enough. You've done it for so long. You can cut a long, thin slice like that. It's, it's a quarter of an inch. Maybe I messed up my measurement. No, no. I ha- I'm looking at my fingernail. I'm measuring on my fingernail. Yeah. yeah. That's about a quarter of an inch. Yeah. Quarter of an inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So about, about that thick. I mean, if it's a little thicker, it's not, it's not going to mm-hmm. hurt because you'll be salting them and the salting helps um yes remove that bitterness from them yes and also it keeps them from being so mushy it turns them more from mushy to meaty because it takes all that moisture out yes yes and they're more pliable too so when mm-hmm. you're after you bake them and you're um, rolling them it'll be a much easier process because i mean at first you're looking at this eggplant and you slice it you're like how are these going to roll <laughs> <laughs> how are you how is this happening? What magic? Yeah. <laughs> it looks, I mean, for me, it's like one of the most mouth mouthwatering dishes I could think of. Like if wow. my mom asked me, what can I make? It's this dish. It's senior ganyog. That's because it does take like a lot of faffing about, like you really have to, you have to <laughs> slice them. You have to salt them. Then you have to make the paste Then you yeah. roll them like it's involved. Yeah. So, um, the, the paste has a bit of vinegar in them and then the eggplants are baked mm-hmm. and the the paste goes inside and then the remaining paste goes on top mm-hmm. with a little bit of oil and they kind of like i guess marinate and all of that mm-hmm. they 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 like come out like really this like i don't even know what word to describe them they're mm-hmm. delicious mm-hmm. <laughs> the one last question i have about this i cannot i cannot pronounce this word that i'm about to say but you do say pair it with a good spicy Zaxia? I don't know. Say that word for me for ice cold vodka. I have no idea what that sentence means. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um this dish is a is a spicy zakuska. Zakuska. Or vodka. Zakuska. Oh. And zakuska is um food that you eat with your drink. Specifically. That is a very specific word. Leave it to the Russians to have it, of course. Wow. <laughs> So zakuska is specifically food that you eat with drink. Which, no other food. <laughs> this is really interesting. And this is like a real insight into the significance that drink plays into Russian culture. Vodka is is a big part of culture. I mean, much like, I guess, wine is to France. Mm-hmm. We have vodka. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, wow. Okay. And it has to be cold. It has to be from the freezer. And you... Always drink with food. If you're going to drink, you drink with food. Ah. And with good company. So if you're drinking vodka, um, I mean, I know there's like the stereotype mm. of, you know, like just 
drunken Russian dude in like a hat, like a mm. bear or something. I mean, we all know the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not but based it's, so much on reality. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to get into that, but <laughs> um, but for uh, a lot of Russians and Ukrainians, uh, when you're having a party, the party is the food, the party is the vodka. Um, cognac is also really big. Um, huh. Right now, I know in Russia, whiskey is a thing. Like, whiskey is really huh. popular right now. Huh. But way back when, it was vodka. Like, yeah. nice, ice, cold, like, vodka. And everyone knew how to drink vodka. Like, my mom can't drink vodka for as tough as she is. <laughs> she cannot drink her she vodka. She can't. No, mm. but my grandma, may she rest in peace. She drank it with so much, like, enthusiasm. <laughs> not enthusiasm. I don't think it's enthusiasm, but, like, she just made it look like the tastiest thing on earth. Like, if you watched her drink vodka, you wanted it. Like, you just, you wanted it. And then when I was old enough to try it, I was like, oh, dear. What? <laughs> like, this is, this is strong. This is, this is a taste. That's amazing. Have you come to enjoy a good, a good vodka? I mean, like at a table with company, yeah, party. If and it's not, you know, like a shots kind of culture. It's like th- that's your drink. It's like, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. No, you really, you really have like kind of like you said. Cor- I think I've just had a stereotype, and you've really kind of corrected that. And now I'm putting it more into the realm of France or Italy, where you enjoy your company, you enjoy your food, and along with the food is a good drink. It's just that it happens to be a vodka or cognac rather than wine. Absolutely, beer is also pretty uh, popular. But that's like the casual drink, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not the drink of like an event. No, but like cognac, vodka, whiskey, though, those are the big drinks. And of course, champagne for Mm -hmm. New Year's or birthdays, Mm -hmm. something like this. Yeah. So it's I think there's still some kind of Cold War era stereotype on like Russians and how we Uh, celebrate and how we live. I see. I think that may have something to do with it. I know a friend once kind of put it in that perspective for me. So I'm just Mm. wondering if that's it. I see. I see. I see. Okay. Well, that's my questions. I really could talk for a long time, (laughs) a very long time, but I'm curious if there's anything that I didn't ask about that you kind of just really wanted to say or share. I also wanted to add that fruits and vegetables, but mainly vegetables are such a large part Mm. of both Ukrainian and Russian diets. It's not just potatoes. Mm. And, and I know that's that's another stereotype, you know, potatoes. Mm-hmm. That that's like the only thing, but um peppers and fresh tomatoes and cucumbers and just a love of fresh vegetables from the ground. Like especially mm-hmm. if you have your own garden and you can make that yourself. That is like, you know, prime produce. Mm. But there's a very big emphasis and a very big appreciation for natural foods, mm-hmm. foods that you cook at home and unprocessed meals. Mm-hmm. So that, that I think that's where my my love of cooking and appreciation comes from. Mm-hmm. So my mom would like so rarely buy us like fun, what we called American foods. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't get Lunchables. We didn't really yeah. 
have Campbell's soup, which yeah. I love. I honestly, I think they're amazing, but my mom never bought it. Yeah. She would buy it. She's like, I'll make it myself. We have yeah. food at home. I will make it myself. Even if you're having a casual lunch when you come home, let's say like from work or from school, mm-hmm. my mom always had like a little plate of tomatoes and radishes and like mm-hmm. fresh um, scallions. Mm-hmm. And then like a little bowl of soup and then maybe some other kind of food. But it was always like a really balanced kind of meal with mm-hmm. vegetables at the forefront and you know just just the love of eating food the way it is and appreciating the way it is naturally yeah yeah i so appreciate I that uh, yeah that's I, that's probably it yeah yeah all right well anisa thank you i i have really enjoyed this so much and i can't wait to share it thank you i'm Absolutely. And I want to say thank you to you. And I also want to say thank you to Lauren. All right. I'll let you go. Have a great, great afternoon. You too, Becky. Thank you again. My pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again to Anissa. You can find all of her contact information right there in the show notes. I would highly recommend following her. So this is the last episode in our three-week cycle, which means next week I will be taking a breather to focus on growing the audience while you can catch up on any episodes you may have missed over the last three weeks or prior over the last two years. Um, After that, we will be easing into spring content in the next cycle, including an episode about the North Indian Festival of Holi and an interview with the author of the cookbook that I am most excited about in 2022. We'll be interviewing Dekla Francis, who is releasing Baking Science in March. So again, make sure you subscribe to the newsletter so you can get a roundup post next week and um, catch up on any episodes you may have missed. Please, if you haven't yet, share a five-star review or forward this episode to a friend. If you do any of those things, you will be helping the podcast. That means so much to me personally. There's so much that's happening this year, and I want to share that experience with you and just keep growing this as a community. So once again, thank you for your support and your shares and have a great week, my friends. My friends.